G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It's wonderful to be able to welcome to 2020 Ron Matson, who's in Australia for the 2017 Israel Restoration Seminar. Now there's a subtitle to this seminar that's on this weekend, Prophecy in the Making. It's on this weekend in Brisbane at the City Point Christian College And uh, Ron Matson, with uh, more than 40 years of pastoral ministry, Ron's taught verse by verse through the Bible. He's hosted a live two-hour TV program broadcast across Europe and taught extensively on the subjects of evangelism, leadership and end times topics. And as you are familiar with the great Bible teacher Chuck Missler, well, Ron Matson is the CEO and president of Koinonia Institute, and uh, he's just flown into our shores uh, just this last 48 hours. So a special welcome to you, Ron Matson. Great to talk to you. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the program. Ron, before we get into uh, some of the serious stuff, and uh, you know, you're going to be talking about this at the seminar on the weekend, about Israel, about uh, perhaps rising anti-Semitism, about the challenges, about biblical prophecy. But before we get into that sort of thing, uh, tell us about Chuck Missler because uh, you're one of Chuck's mates. In fact, you're the CEO and the president of Coinonia House, and a lot of our listeners uh, have been uh, real fans of Chuck Missler for many years. Uh, what, uh, what's the, the latest with Chuck? Well, I live with Chuck in New Zealand. Of course, uh, many of the uh, listeners may remember the fact that he uh, decided some years ago to move his headquarters, the Coinonia House Ministry, down to um, New Zealand. Um, and um, so I came along with him. Uh, my wife and I moved uh, from England at that point, and we linked up with him. And And uh, Chuck and Nancy have um, decided to, to retire there. Of course, uh, shortly after they moved, uh, uh, Nancy went back to the States and uh, was diagnosed with cancer and stayed there for two and a half years, uh, receiving various forms of treatment. And it was a tough time for Chuck. And uh, those that were close to the ministry knew that it was difficult for him as he was um, standing alongside of his bride, uh, and she she uh, went home to be with the Lord in November of uh, 2015, and so last year really was a time of just um, uh, grieving and um, and and coming to terms with all of that, and also just uh, stepping back for for Chuck, stepping back from ministry in in sense of of, of daily activity, and handing it over to um, to the committee of guys that. Uh, uh, constitute the management of Cornelia House now. But Chuck is doing quite well, actually. Now, Chuck and Nancy had a very long marriage, a yeah. successful marriage, a wonderful partnership. They uh, co-authored books together. They were in ministry together. And uh, and some of us were following along uh, the, uh, the illness mm-hmm. and travels back to the United States and eventually uh, Nancy's uh, passing on uh, to be with the Lord. Uh, when it's so public like that, uh, Chuck's got a big following. Uh, yeah. Going through a grieving process, sometimes you just want privacy and you just don't want everybody questioning all the time what's going on. Yeah. Uh, how's he handled that? Is he is he on the up and up uh, beyond the grieving process? Well, you know, it was interesting. There were sort of two things that were taking place at the same time. One was, of course, the 
uh, passing of Nancy, but also a month or two later, um, his um, last remaining son also died of cancer, died in January of 2016. And so it was sort of a a double uh, shot to the gut, so to speak. And it was a tough time for him. But um, Chuck really draws strength um, from the fact that people do um, love him and uh, the ministry there. In fact, in January of last year, he ended up in the hospital, some may know, uh, was there for a week. He um, was quite ill with pneumonia and a number of other problems. And um, we just simply sent out uh, through the social media associated with K House a request to pray for Chuck. It was just hashtag pray for Chuck. And uh, surprisingly, we had over half a million people in the world respond to that. And uh, I think that we, we ended up, I think after the second or third day, we printed about 30,000 uh, responses into a ring-bound book and gave it to Chuck. And he just sat and read the comments and wept. And I, to be honest, I think that was huge in the sense of, of uh, encouraging him and helping him get through that that uh, three-month period of not only losing his wife, losing his son, and then having a serious illness, which was life-threatening, by the way, um, and as he as he recovers from that, uh, the the outpouring uh, of of goodwill from people was very much appreciated. And I, and uh, in that case, yes, he's a very public figure. Yes, they lived a uh, a relationship that was uh, sort of in the proverbial uh, glass house, uh, so to speak. But um, but they are real people. They 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 don't try to hide, and uh, and they were very encouraged by the support that they received just in prayers and the outpouring of thanksgiving. It was really good for him. Well, as we get into our conversation, uh, it's important to note that when you mention uh, those sorts of responses where a half a million people uh, respond in such a way as uh, sharing uh, in that same grief mm. that Chuck was feeling, it indicates and for listeners today the significance of Koinonia House as a ministry because, and you'll have been involved in this, and this uh, is part of our conversation today, because Koinonia House, uh, it largely, uh, part of what happens with the ministry is a collation of a whole lot of intelligence that's coming in from all over the world, uh, people submitting all sorts of uh, papers and research and all sorts of things, uh, which has been one of the benchmarks of Koinonia House, this ability to be able to know what's going on, to have intelligence about trends and those things that have, have been happening in the world. And Chuck, of course, has been renowned for that. Uh, you've been part of that collation of uh, much of that intelligence too. How does that contribute to what you might be sharing on the weekend as you're addressing a seminar here in Australia? Well, we're fortunate in that uh, being a, a, a Christian organization that is not directly associated with denominations, it allows us to um, sort of move across the the various and, and past the various barriers that are there. And as a result, uh, we do get a lot of um, uh, insight and in, input from people uh, from non-standard channels. Plus, um, we just, God has opened doors for us to um, be able to have um, uh, connections with people that wouldn't normally be um, available to a people a person in a pulpit, so to speak. And uh, so we have a good relationship uh, with Israel. Uh, when we visit Israel, uh, there's many people in government there, within Mossad, within the uh, the IDF. In fact, many of our tours, when we go there, we go visit IDF bases. And uh, so you just um, uh, 
uh, you just get connected with lots of different people. And, and Israel's a small place, and it doesn't take long for the good news to travel since Israel seems to get a lot of bad news from outside. So uh, they, they, uh, they do respond well to those who are friendly to them and they see a supportive. Uh, and, um, and Chuck, both as a, in his ministerial capacity, had a lot of connection there, but also professionally um, throughout his professional career. Um, had a lot of uh, um, uh, commercial dealings uh, with Israel on various types of defense programs and the like, uh, which also connected him with people. So um, Israel is one of those places where we still have quite a good network of people that keep us informed. Well, let's talk specifically about Israel because you're addressing a conference on the weekend. Uh, Israel's restoration is the central focus theme for what is being talked about. Uh, what sort of things are you going to be bringing to the table or to the platform as you begin to uh, share in your component on the weekend? Uh, are you talking trends? Are you talking uh, the way that uh, things are unfolding in the world? Is it a commentary on what's going on in the Middle East? What sort of things are you talking about, Ron? Well, in, in, uh, there will be four sessions on Saturday. The two that I'll be working with, uh, I'm going to look at, first of all, when you, when you address the issue of restoration, you need to understand what that means in terms of its context. The nation of Israel, um, starting with Abraham onward, um, are a people that God has chosen uh, by divine election to accomplish a specific destiny. And uh, it's important to understand that, especially as Christians, when we deal with the, the issue of Israel, sadly, uh, a vast majority of, of Christendom worldwide would ignore Israel and thereby ignore the value of two-thirds of the Bible. And uh, so one of the things will be, to, from my perspective, is just to give a perspective when we talk about restoration, restoration in what regards um, there's a lot of excitement and confusion with regards to the difference between Israel as a people and Israel as a secular state, and, uh, and we need to address that. Also, dealing with the promises, the, uh, the unconditional covenants that God has uh, with Israel. I think for many Christians, they're unaware of the fact that God is not finished with Israel. Um, uh, the predominant view, of course, within uh, especially the Reformation-based churches uh, is replacement theology, that idea that uh, Israel had its chance, uh, the Messiah came, they did not recognize nor accept the Messiah, God has set them aside, uh, and they became nothing more than Christ killers, and that was the predominant view throughout Europe, certainly, um, and was, was a... Uh, uh, a, a mentality that was there even during the, the, the Holocaust era. Uh, the, let's get rid of these Christ killers. And uh, that, that sort of misconception uh, is there because people don't understand the, the purpose and destiny of the nation of Israel. And so uh, in my two sessions, we'll be looking at sort of the historical background uh, for the displacement of Israel and um, the, the sense of restoration coming in a number of phases. There's the restoration of the state. There's a, there's a national restoration. There's personal restoration. Um, and so we'll be trying to embrace that. Uh, really, it's an exhaustive stu- subject, but we're going to try to give four good sessions at it. 
And I guess an additional dimension to that is uh, everybody else's attitude to what's happening in the restoration. And, and as we're talking about a visit by the Israeli Prime Minister in Australia, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's arrived just yesterday, and uh, there's already controversy all over the media. Uh, but uh, the ones who will be supportive of Israel, uh, there is promise of blessing from the Bible. Uh, there's also uh, the promise of cursing for those who are not on Israel's side. How do we how do we make sense of uh, the way that uh, people need to relate, either individually or even nationally, uh, to the nation of Israel? Well, part of the problem, I think, uh, and we're seeing this as as a problem worldwide, and that is the sense that people's reaction uh, to um, the uh, huge uh, amount of information that's available in the world through the media is to determine. What is what's authentic and what's fake news uh, is the is the label that's being used banded around now, and as a result of that, what happens is you have um, a little tiny country uh, that that has the focus of the entire world constantly on them. Uh, they are seen as um, the thorn in the side of Islam. Uh, they are. Uh, uh, it's strange that you would have one country out of more than 200 in the UN that yet receives more than a third of all the National Security Council uh, resolutions are against the nation of Israel, which is is disproportionate in, in so many different ways that even this most recent resolution that the UN passed as President Obama of the United States as President Obama was leaving, he, it was like he just wanted one more opportunity to manipulate the situation there and create a, uh, a, uh, a public uh, shaming of Israel, uh, which was sad uh, but yet predictable. Uh, Obama, from my perspective, being an American, living outside the country for more than 25 years, looked back and saw what was taking place and saw that there was just this uh, overwhelming sense within the media to villainize and to delegitimize the nation of Israel constantly. They were, anything that happens was to put them in a bad light. So part of the problems that Christians have is if their sole input is the secular media or the mainstream media, they're going to get a jaundice or bias view to begin with. In terms of what their reaction should be, their reaction should be to go back and have a biblical understanding of what this land is, who these people are, because it comes down to a definition of terms. When they say things like the land of Palestine, they're using a, a name that was given to the land by the Romans, who were the enemies of Israel during after the Bar Kokhba revolution. And, um, but yet, when Israel became a state and uh, an independent country in 1948, uh, they adopted the name Palestinian as a nation in the sense that you were a Palestinian if you were born in what we now know as the land of Israel. Uh, but then that's been hijacked by the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now when you use the term Palestinian, you don't mean a Jew. You mean uh, a, 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 um, a generally a Muslim or a non-Jewish person living in the land of Israel. They call that's Palestinian. Well, uh, it's, it's understanding the sense that there's never been a Palestinian state. There's never been a Palestinian people. There's never been a Palestinian language. There's never been a Palestinian capital. 
but yet everybody acts as though there has been, that Israel from 1948 onward were the usurpers. And thus you have the the debates with regards to um, uh, uh, living on occupied lands. And of course, you see a lot in media about that, the the occupation, uh, the uh, settlements in the occupation. See, very powerful terms um, uh, that, that is being used there. And uh, and so, if you're not careful, you can you can uh, uh, accept that definition, which automatically uh, vilifies Israel, uh, and will naturally skew your own perception of Israel. And I think that's what the church has to has to work against, is to be very precise and use biblical terminology dealing with his land. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Good to have you along with us. The Thursday edition, we're talking about Israel. The Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, is on our soil in Australia. It's an historic uh, gathering that's been happening, and uh, he's here uh, for a four-day visit. Uh, The Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, has uh, said a lot of good things and affirming a 100 years of friendship with Israel. Ron Matson is our guest. He's the CEO and president of Koinonia Institute, uh, addressing a conference this weekend. He's in the studio with me. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, you might have a question or you might have a comment. But, Ron, as we talk about, uh, you mentioned a 4,000-year history back to Abraham. And sometimes I feel as though we compartmentalize the Old Testament in particular, but a lot of people will just compartmentalize the whole Bible, the Old and New Testament, and say, isn't that just a document that's, you know, nearly 2,000 years old? But when we think of the restoration of Israel, 1948, we recognize that this history of the Israeli people has a 4,000-year history, and the history is not over yet. It's still continuing. Mm, very much so. Uh, you know, Genesis 12 tells us that uh, uh, God made this amazing promise to Abraham while he was in Ur of the Chaldees, that he would uh, take him to a land um, and that he would establish him and a nation after him that would be a blessing to all people. And uh, Genesis 12 uh, gives us a sense of that Abrahamic covenant. It's one of... Um, uh, arguably um, eight covenants that God makes in the Bible. Uh, five of them uh, are unconditional. Four of them deal specifically with the nation of Israel. And so uh, more than half of the covenants in the Bible are dealing specifically with the nation of Israel. And so that should cause us to pay attention. And those are unconditional covenants. One is, of course, the Abrahamic covenant. The next is from uh, Genesis 15, that what we refer to as the land covenant that uh, it's during the time uh, when uh, there's this division between uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot. Lot goes down into the fertile uh, Jordanian Valley, and uh, and God appears uh, and encourages Abraham, saying, look as far to the north, the south, the east, and the west as you can see. I will give this to you and your uh, children as an everlasting covenant. And so uh, he's standing there... Uh, uh, most likely around the area of Jerusalem, looking down over the the expanse around him, seeing this is the land that I will I will give you. And then, of course, when Joshua comes into the land, um, 
having had the passing of Moses and the, the crossing of the Red Sea and all that. When Joshua comes in with the children of Israel, he is there to begin to take possession of that which was simply there. So we see a restoration of Israel actually starts with Joshua. Uh, uh, he's, he's restoring to them that which was promised to Abraham. And the, uh, the history that um, is recorded post-Joshua is all about Israel in the land and uh, and dealing with its enemies and uh, and distractions and so on and so forth, but uh, but that that process is something that's ongoing, and um, will continue prophetically uh, when we have uh, Gabriel's announcement uh, to Mary concerning the birth of the Christ child, the incarnation of God. He quotes a passage of scripture that is referring to the fact that this child, Jesus, will sit upon the throne of David. And there was no throne of David at the time of Christ. He is speaking of the final restoration of Israel is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the epicenter of history and prophecy is Israel. And if, if you miss that, you, you put a distinction which, um, between that which is historic and that which is prophetic and as a result, by making that distinction, the historic is, is not important to me. You won't really have an understanding of the prophetic. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Ron Matson is our guest. Let's hear from Lee in Camerwheel. Hello, Lee. Welcome along. Good morning, Neil and Ron. Lee, what are your thoughts? A question, Neil, if I may. Absolutely. Uh, Ron, during negotiations between Israel and surrounding Arab nations... Is there any acknowledgement by the Arab nations that the Joshua-led invasion was God-ordained, God-appointed, and God-supported? Now, if not, how do they feel about uh, the inheritance that was allocated to Isaac rather than Ishmael? Well, first of all, let's talk about the nations that surround Israel. Um, All of the nations, bar Egypt, are nations that were not in existence at the time of Joshua, what I mean by that is when we think of Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, the immediate neighbors, these are constructs of the French and the British following the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, they were part of the British and French mandates and their artificial borders, and they, the, the British, especially within uh, within uh, Israel today and uh, and Jordan, set up these artificial borders as to be a way to parse that which was for Israel and, uh, and, and uh, the Jewish people and that which was for um, the Muslims. Uh, and so, number one is to recognize that these are not historic nations. They are, they are people that um, don't naturally recognize the existence of the state of Israel. In fact, the surrounding nations, for the most part, except for, except for Egypt, Egypt, if after this, the uh, 67 war, to get the Sinai Peninsula back um, into Egyptian hands, they had to, Anwar Sadat had to, had to acknowledge um, Israel's right to exist. And, of course, that did not last very long because he was assassinated. But the surrounding countries do not recognize uh, Israel's right to exist. They certainly don't recognize any history. And yet, when you speak with those who have this incredible animosity and and hatred toward Israel, um, uh, what they're going to be telling you is they have no legitimacy as a state. So there's no acknowledgement there at all. 
more than just a commentary on what's happening in the world, more than just a commentary on the visit of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to Australia, more than a commentary on Australia's response, which has just been a wonderful response. Uh, we're talking with the dimension now of what happens in the history of the whole world, uh, where there is prophecy in the making when it comes to this restoration of the nation of Israel and the attitudes that individuals have and the attitudes that nations have are very, very important. Our special guest is Ron Matson. He's in Australia for the 2017 Israel Restoration Seminar. It's on this weekend. Uh, Ron, let's take some calls. We've got a couple of callers who've been waiting patiently. Let's hear first from Shelby in Sunnybank. Hello, Shelby. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning, Neil, uh, Ron. Mate, um, I just want to say that um, I'm led to believe that um, Israel is the most stable country within that region. But most of all, we have to maintain, or the world has to maintain and understand the biblical heritage of Israel um, and uh, that has to be maintained uh, in my viewpoint. Um, and uh, it, it's just um, a shame to see that the world is constantly, and the Palestinians are constantly at trying to destroy that. And as uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, said when he arrived, he was on uh, um, uh, a little speech there, and it was on media. Um, it, it's amazing that uh, even for Australia, um, uh, I think it's the hundredth year, he said, of the uh, light horse um, uh, capturing uh, the Australian light horse brigade uh, capturing um, uh, Bathsheba and um, that being returned to the um, uh, Israelites. And I, I just think of one other thing before I go. The Kelvin uh, uh, Comby, uh, Neil, you had him on once. Kelvin uh, Comby, uh, yep, well-known historian. Yeah. Yep. Yes, and he had had that book, and he, he did the book. Um, Gallipoli, all roads lead to Jerusalem, I think it is. And um, that's just amazing. And that was the first only that I'd ever heard of any biblical information about the war. Previously, you all heard heard just about non-biblical stuff about the war. Um, But that was, you know, amazing to hear that information. And, you know, there's so much heritage with um, um, Israel and you know, with the biblical side of things, it's got to be maintained. And even as Benjamin Netanyahu said, um, the Palestinian, um, of any solution that they're trying to solve, um, Palestinian getting in there, uh, they would simply make it another Muslim state completely again. That would be their total effort. And we've got to guard against that, I believe. Shelby, some good thoughts in all of that. Let's get a response uh, from Ron. Uh, Ron, you might have picked up on uh, one or two of the points that Shelby's mentioning. Well, the, what's interesting about uh, the, the Middle East historically is that uh, uh, there's always been this historic revisionism that takes place there. Um, during the rise of the, the um, Ayatollah in Iran, he popularized the idea that the Holocaust was, uh, in, in Europe was fabricated uh, by the, uh, the colonists from, uh, um, from Europe and, uh, and so on and so forth, this whole idea that... Uh, uh, the very sense of who Israel is is fabricated. Well, what's beautiful is that you can hardly put a spade into the ground in the land of Israel where you don't turn up uh, clear evidence of uh, the the kingdom era of 
of uh, the nation of Israel. And, uh, and so although there are a billion people, so to speak, are in the planet that would love to, uh, to uh, make Israel uh, nothing more than a hoax, the truth of the matter is God will establish that which he is doing, and we can stand by that. The world can, can rage on all they want, but they cannot erase uh, the, the concrete proof of the nation of Israel historically, and we as Christians looking at it also prophetically. Thank you to Shelby for your question, for your comments. Uh, let's take another call. Paul is in Kananara. Hello, Paul. Welcome along. Yeah, hi. Paul, hi. welcome. What's your thoughts on our conversation today? Uh, just uh, a question. Um, I'm a, a pilot by just for enjoyment, and a while back I was flying to the south of Kananara, about 30 kilometres. Are you there? Have we got you, Paul? Sorry. Yep, we've got, got you, Paul. I can hear you. Yep. What are you? What are you? Okay. You are flying. You're flying your... to the south of Kananara, to the south of Kananara, about 30 kilometres. And we came across a floodplain between two ranges. And my passenger said, do you realise that this place was considered as a place to resettle Jews after the war? And I'd never heard of that. I was just wondering what your knowledge is of Australia's involvement in looking for a place to settle Jewish people after the Second World War. Uh, do you have any knowledge uh, along those lines? Well, there, there's been reports circulated that after World War II, there were thoughts of uh, repatriating um, uh, displaced Jews to Africa. Um, I've never heard the Australian solution. Um, I did run into somebody in New Zealand that said New Zealand would be a great place. And uh, probably if, if, you're, if, uh, if you're not an all-blacks fan, you would have gone with Israel, taking, Israel, <laughs> taking the land. But no, I've, I've not heard of that. But you see, that, that's, that's immaterial. I mean, that's like saying we're going to take an indigenous people that have been displaced and dispersed and uh, we're going to take them up to Canada and, and give them a part of Canada as if it's, it's the coalescence and the congregation of the people that make the nation. No, the, the land is important to them. Jerusalem is important to them. They connect with that. That's why it's so important uh, for uh, Israelis to have Israel. Uh, and it's interesting also to notice that anything that's of historic value um, – to the Jew, over time, the Muslims have come in and taken those locations and either destroyed them or rebranded them as some sort of a Muslim site. And uh, that's all that idea of trying to erase the nation of Israel. So I've not heard of them being offered other places, but I know they wouldn't take it. And, Paul, my knowledge a little limited uh, on this issue, but I do recall hearing something of recent times about Australia being a proposed uh, destination for uh, repatriation of uh, Jewish people post-World War II. But uh, I don't think uh, there was too much of that eventuated. But if there are other listeners who might be able to shed some light on that, uh, you're welcome to join our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Paul from Kananara, thanks so much for a great input today and a good question. And I'm not sure we were able to answer it as fully as you'd like. But as I say, there may be some other listeners who might like to contribute let me move on to uh, a really big issue. Sometimes when people are talking about biblical prophecy, Ron, mm. uh, they'll be thinking of, uh, in some sense, a timeline, and, uh, and it's arguable as to how that timeline might 
uh, outwork itself. But if we're talking about a history, 4,000 years since Abraham, and of course we're in this uh, new covenant time and uh, the restoration of Israel, the uh, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, quite obvious a fulfillment, a miraculous thing that has happened. When we talk about last days or last things uh, and uh, this whole issue of Bible prophecy, how does Israel fit into that? And and is there a context we can make a commentary about today uh, with last things, last times? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, I like to point out the fact that if you want to know what time it is on God's clock, just look at the nation of Israel. Everything else uh, is centered around that. That's the benchmark. That's the place in which you can get a sense of perspective for the rest of the world. Now, prophetically, there are a number of uh, prophecies uh, that are yet unfulfilled, uh, and they they center in and around the nation of Israel and the land of Israel. Um, there is the long-term um, prophecies that deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ, but he is here to sit upon the throne of David. And he is establishing from Ezekiel, we get the sense that he's going to be establishing uh, a an existence of the nation of Israel in so much that the whole world will have to acknowledge that they are the oracle of God to the nations. And that will be during that thousand-year millennial reign. Now, let's, so that's that that's a thousand-year period that we look at, the millennium. I recognize there's many Christians that don't uh, uh, embrace the idea of uh, the millennium, but then, uh, and we won't debate that now. But the point is, from our perspective, that's a key um, uh, point, and it starts in Israel, and the world is governed by Christ sitting on the throne of David, ruling the nations with a rod of iron. Now, prior to that, we have a period referred to as the Great Tribulation. It's three and a half years long. Jesus describes it uh, and makes reference to Daniel chapter 9, which is that final period where Jerusalem is overrun. They have a temple that is existing in Jerusalem somewhere uh, that gets desecrated. The nation of Israel uh, and the the Jews are, are attacked. Uh, and there is, um, uh, at the end of that period, um, a congregation uh, of the armies of the Antichrist that um, uh, gather in the, the Jezreel Valley called Megiddo on Armageddon. It's no battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, actually, there is no battle. It's a, it's a staging ground. It's, um, it's the place where they're going to get ready to go down to Basra. So we just keep backing up. What precedes that is uh, an antichrist who will make a uh, enforce a covenant with the many. And there's lots of speculation as to what that means and how it could um, reveal itself. But, uh, but that starts classically what is referred to as the 70th week of Daniel, that last seven-year period of the history of man, which then is um, uh, given more detail in the book of Revelation and the judge- judgments that take place there. Now, prior to that, um, you have the the, um, the prediction of uh, perhaps the Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, uh, destruction of uh, Gog and Magog and in in this aborted uh, invasion. Uh, prior to that, many believe there's a battle described in Psalm 83, uh, which is with Israel's immediate neighbors, uh, where they are vanquished by Israel. Israel finally just gets tired of being 
put upon by the immediate nations goes and conquers them. So these are all things that as we sort of wind the prophetic clock closer to us, move the hands backwards, so to speak, uh, we begin to see that these are all events uh, that could be upon us even now. And uh, especially with the way Russia is, is uh, uh, making inroads with, uh, uh, with Syria, uh, they've been very friendly with Iran. These are all partners in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, uh, invasion. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham, welcome along. Hello, you know, Father Abraham, I mean, the Jews claim him, the Muslims claim him, we Christians claim him. You know, Abraham had love, compassion for his fellow man. When God said, I'm going to wipe away uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, uh, he, you know, and he said, will you destroy the good with the bad? And... He kept saying, "Will you uh, save so many? If, will you save if there's 50 decent people? Will you save it? Will you spare it?" And it went on down, right down to 10. It showed you shows us the compassion of uh, Abraham. His great love for his fellow man. But we haven't got that. We've got confused Jews. We've got confused Muslims. Even confused Christians. And uh, you know, we really um, in God Himself is going to sort this is out. And, Zechariah 14 in that chapter, and that really tells us what's really going to wrap things up. Uh, let's get some thought from Ron on uh, on Graham's comments. Well, uh, it is true. There's a lot of confusion with regards uh, to the, uh, the 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 heritage that's there. There is a legacy of hate that exists in that area, um, and uh, wouldn't it be nice if mankind could? have uh, the, the, the power of love to overcome these things. But that love is not something that's capable uh, given the condition of the human heart. And uh, so uh, as much as we'd like to, to, to see that being the thing that unites people, it will be God using uh, the, the surrounding nations of Israel and Israel as a secular state to bring about his purposes. The, uh, his purposes are about establishing the physical reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. And Israel is the timepiece that will will tick down and count down to that place. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking Israel, but with a dimension you won't hear spoken about too many other places. The context of biblical prophecy. Ron Matson, the CEO and president of Koinonia Institute, is our guest. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. May have time for just a couple more. Let's hear from Chris in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Um, good day, Neil. Yeah, I, I just want to make a point. Um, we, we get really stirred up about anti-Semitism, but I think anti-Semitism is, is there by God. It's like um, Pharaoh, you know, he hardens the hearts of people, to, and it's one of the main reasons that he's going to use to bring the people in the world into judgment. And uh, also, he's also going to use anti-Semitism finally as a way for the Jews to recognize him Messiah and call out to him. Uh, as in the, in the Holocaust, you know, they, they've got to sort of uh, reconcile that. Where was God in the Holocaust? Well, God was quite plain when he said, um, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So unless they recognize the Messiah, 
um, well, you know, Jesus can say, act on their behalf. That's the way I look at it. In all, uh, think good anyway. thought, Chris. A uh, response from you, Ron? Real quickly, the, the, the sense of uh, anti-Semitism being something that God uses um, is, is an ellipsis in the sense that it's, it's true to some degree. It's a sad indictment of mankind, but nonetheless, it's a true statement. God told Israel uh, when they were first dis, um, being dis, uh, t- t- torn apart in Israel that God was going to send them a people that d- they didn't understand their language and they were going to be this horrific people. And, of course, he was talking about the Chaldeans the, the, and uh, the Babylonian Empire. So God does use the hatred of Israel to bring about his purposes. Okay, thank you so much to Chris. Let's take a call from Conrad in Marysville in Victoria. Hello, Conrad. Yes, sir. Good, good morning, good afternoon. Yeah. Conrad, what are your thoughts? Number one is first of all, I believe that I believe that God is has blessed Australia. The unity has blessed Australia is because of Australia's um, love uh, for Israel. Number one. The other one is uh, is uh, that I understand that on the whole map in the Middle East of the of the Middle Eastern country that there's no map of Israel included. The third one is I want to ask uh, Ron's thoughts so that he believe that the temple will will be rebuilt again. Okay. Let's uh, a response from Ron. Uh, we're running short of time, but uh, your response, Ron. I'll answer them in reverse order. Yes, I believe there will be a temple uh, built in Jerusalem. I think it's it's necessary uh, to to be a part of fulfilled prophecy. I think that. Uh, uh, Israel uh, is uh, is will, will is and always will be prophetically important. Okay, Conrad from Marysville, thanks so much for your input. Uh, we won't be able to take any more calls, but if we're drawing some loose ends together here, uh, it can be uh, for some people, Ron, uh, quite a complex and sophisticated. Uh, idea to be thinking about how all of this fits in context uh, with the Bible, with what we see in the newspapers today, with what we're seeing on the television news at night. If we're talking about what the most important thing is that we might need to know about these circumstances, about our individual attitudes, about national attitudes, uh, global relationships, uh, global politics, what would the the most important thing be for uh, for your advice to listeners today? Well, we need to recognize that we're all subject to information overload. And as a result of that, it's it's hard to discern what we should be listening to, who we should believe, what we should think. Therefore, my advice, and I believe it's it's what God would have for all your listeners, is to get back to using the Bible as the primary source of information, not just simply for spiritual guidance, but as a um, a place to test all thought and all ideas. And I think that uh, if you have a biblical basis and a biblical background, you'll be able to see and put things uh, together better. And so I would encourage people to be serious about Bible study and to seek the scriptures as their primary source for their information and input. Is there a sense in which uh, many Christians have a singular dimensional a- approach to the Bible and perhaps they, they, do, they read it devotionally or some are uh, reading it for uh, some historic content or because they're wanting to be taught good things about morals. Others are looking at it for prophecy. That While well, I'm talking about this, there's lots of dimensions and uh, as you're saying, attest every Everything, yes, according everything. to this this document, because there's something special about the Bible 
that it is God's word to mankind. Yes, and and to to quote my ministry partner Chuck Chuck Messler, he would say, "The Bible is an integrated message system from outside our time domain." And I think yeah. if we take the a look at Scripture in that manner, it, it it integrates together. There is no page between the Old Testament and New Testament. It's one document, cover to cover, and it's all valuable to us. Well, Ron Matson, great getting your insights today. Just a pleasure having you as our guest on 2020 and to reinforce you're in Australia for a purpose, and that is that you are one of the keynote speakers at a seminar this weekend on Saturday in Brisbane. So for southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales listeners, those who are uh, in the nearby vicinity, you might like to get along and be part of a seminar program and uh, Ron, one of the main speakers, it's going to be, it's called the 2017 Israel Restoration Seminar. The subtitle is A Prophecy in the Making. And uh, we've had a little bit of a taste of the sorts of things that will be presented in that seminar this weekend. It's going to be on in Brisbane at the City Point Christian College. There is a website called Israel Restoration dot wordpress.com if you'd like some more details about that seminar. Uh, Ron, just a pleasure getting your updates and your insights and thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.